Three Dog Thursday on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is presented by MyBookie.ag. Winning season is back at MyBookie, and they're offering a 100% deposit bonus when you use the promo code SGP. That's MyBookie.ag, promo code SGP, to play, win, and get paid. We're also brought to you in part by the leaders in daily fantasy DraftKings. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at a million dollars in prizes this week. Don't miss out on the week two action. Enter the promo code SGP to get a free shot at a million bucks in prizes with your first deposit. That code again is SGP and only at DraftKings. We're also brought to you by BetQL. Want to get an advantage over the sports book with the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, or any other betting action? Well, you need to download BetQL, the only app you'll need to make smart bets this season. Head to betql.co and enter the code SGP20 for a 20% off discount on your first subscription. That's betql.co and the promo code SGP20. We're also brought to you by Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SGP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code SGP20. And we're also brought to you by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sports book. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. Finally, don't forget to sign up for the Free Roll Football Contest, where we're giving away up to $5,000 for the best NFL handicappers this season. Sign up for free today. SportsGamblingPodcast.com slash contest. That's SportsGamblingPodcast.com slash contest. Football fans. It's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. Oh, indeed. Welcome in to the latest edition of the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to those underdogs. We love the underdog angle, the little guy, the guy that's not got much expected of him, that's getting a lot of points, sometimes at home, sometimes most of the time on the road. We love picking them in college football and the NFL, and it may even stray into the NBA, or in this case, U.S. Open golf this week. Who's got the favorable odds and who are the long shots and the underdogs? We're going to talk all about it. As part of Three Dog Thursday, I am merely the somewhat capable host. Coming up straight ahead, Brian Edwards, our senior handicapper. BrianEdwardsSports.com and MajorWager.com. He will be here talking lots of college football, first of all, including yet another exciting weekend. What in the world happened to the Big 12? They got sledgehammered like Peter Gabriel. A sledgehammer. I'm not going to sing all of it. Uh, that the Sun Belt did to the Big 12 teams last week as not only Iowa State, but Kansas State and Kansas all felt it on the chin from the Sun Belt Conference. So we'll talk some college football from last week. We'll look ahead at a couple of college football underdogs. I really like an ACC underdog when we go to make those picks uh, coming up and we talk the college football 
football game. Then our video roundtable comes up in the middle of the program from YouTube on the video roundtable, and you'll also hear it on the audio uh, here via the Three Dog Thursday audio version of the podcast. Jason Cole, longtime NFL writer, formerly Yahoo Sports National NFL writer, Bleacher Report National NFL writer, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, new John Elway biography out, A Relentless Life, taking a closer look at the beginning and the end of John Elway's playing career and now all the way up to his front office career with the Denver Broncos. From the days at Stanford to being a number one overall pick in the NFL, engineering the trade to Denver in the first place, winning Super Bowls with the Broncos, and then obviously here in the recent times dealing with Tim Tebow and that circus with the former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback coming to the Broncos and then luring Peyton Manning to Denver but then having a falling out with Manning as well. Jason's got it all in the book, A Relentless Life. He's going to talk more about that, talk more NFL coming up in our roundtable. Also, Mark Ennis on the roundtable. Love me some Louisville, Mark Ennis. Even though I'm a Memphis guy and Memphis is supposed to hate Louisville, it's ingrained in us. Go Tigers, go. Uh, the, the Louisville Cardinals are the arch enemies. Anyway, Louisville taking on Miami in college football primetime Saturday night. Mark will be here on the roundtable to preview that game. And Mark, also a big Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan. Look, you know that I'm the Bucs sideline guy, and I'm part of the Buccaneer broadcast with Gene Deckerhoff, the Hall of Famer, Dave Moore, our longtime tight end and radio analyst. And yes, the Bucs were beaten in week one by the Saints. I had them for Three Dog Thursday purposes, as did a couple of our guests last week had them for Three Dog Thursday purposes. But the Saints were too good. The Bucs with too many mistakes. Brady takes the L in the opening loss. Tom Brady, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Uh, now he's got to try to bounce back this week against Carolina. Carolina getting a boatload of points, by the way, in Tampa. So anyway, Mark's a big uh, Buccaneer fan. We'll lament that on the roundtable. We'll talk more about the NFL Week 1. Mark will talk more about Louisville and Miami, all of that. Find the YouTube page, subscribe, but go see the video uh, for the video roundtable from Three Dog Thursday. Then Brian Edwards will be back here to talk more about the NFL games. He loves the Thursday night Cincinnati Bengal underdog. You'll find out why. I've got a couple of NFL underdogs. Brian's got some overall thoughts on NFL underdogs through week one and into week two. NFL underdog advice in the final part of Three Dog Thursday today. A reminder, if you have not already subscribed to our show, even if you found us just through a social media link on sportsgamblingpodcast.com, their network feed of shows, go to the Apple Podcast uh, subscription service, go to Spotify, go to Google Podcasts, and hit the subscribe, and Three Dog Thursday, ding, comes automatically to you. Uh, late night, Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. It'll be up. It'll be ready to go. You'll get a notification from anywhere that you get your podcast. Subscribe away to Three Dog Thursday, and we love you to rate us and review us. Again, numerous ones of you have done that in recent weeks and months. Continue to rate and review the podcast. More will find it. Love those uh, five-star ratings. Keep them coming as you subscribe as well to Three Dog Thursday. Before we get to Brian Edwards to lead it off and our roundtable guests, Jason Cole and Mark Ennis, let me say a couple of words. At the time that we're taping on the day before Three Dog Thursday on Wednesday, the Big Ten has finally come around. Let's hear it for the presidents, the chancellors, those in charge at the Big Ten to finally come around and realize that college football can reasonably and safely be played because others are demonstrating that they can do it and have been doing it. And as someone who sat on this very podcast with noted college football insider and one of my good friends, Brent McMurphy, came on this podcast a month ago. McMurphy told me zero. He even held up the zero on the video podcast, said there's zero chance they're going back on this decision. I said, Brett, 
These are college presidents. They lick the finger. They stick it up in the air on which way the wind is blowing. They're easily swayed and motivated. He disagreed. I'm sorry, McMurphy. I love you. You were wrong. And there were a lot of other prominent college football uh, writers and media people that all along have been poo-pooing this whole thing. Here's the bottom line with the Big Ten. The four words that sum this whole situation up for all the back and forth, should they play, should they not play, is it safety, is it due to liability, is it due to being able to to be able to fit the season in if you're delayed, we're going to play in January, which was always a ridiculous idea from the Big Ten, and even from the Pac-12 if that's what they're going to do, and now the Pac-12's got no dance partner to play in January with, so they're not going to do that. Mark it down right now, the Pac-12 is not playing football by themselves in January. If anything, they're going to escalate things and they're going to try to play this year, or maybe not at all. Let's see what the Pac-12 does in the coming days. You may know more about that. But we know what the Big Ten decided to do. They decided to save face. And the four words that sum this situation up succinctly and best is that for these presidents to have killed it when all of their athletic directors wanted this to be done, all of their coaches wanted to play, and they've got the safety measures already in place in June and July and doing their testing. The presidents in this case, they were arrogant fools. That's what they were. The two tracks are you can be arrogant, but you better not be foolish. You can be foolish, but if you're arrogant about it, man, you're going to be even in worse shape in terms of of being shamed from from the public opinion. They believed that they were going to shut the whole sport down by being the leaders and say, we're safer, we're smarter. It's obvious that that's what they were going to try to do and that they did try to do. And they were arrogant about it. We're going to be first and everyone will follow us. And we will look magnanimous, we will look smart, we will look like that we were the ones that cared about safety when the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 did not. The end result is the Big Ten understood when other conferences are playing safely and the games are going on, we look like fools. We look like fools for deciding back in early August that we're not playing games. If you wanted to decide this in mid to late September, that's one thing. But the evidence is now obvious that you can play safely. All these different conferences are doing it. Yes, there's been the pause button on some games and some games being canceled and rescheduled. But by and large, you've already seen now close to 70 games played over the last couple of weeks. Neighborhood of 60 or 70 games. By the time this weekend rolls around, you're going to be close to 100 games that will have been played. The Big Ten made to look like fools in this situation. And they arrogantly approached this as, again, if this is unsafe to play, then why was the Big Ten suggesting that the the season would be uh, okay to play in January when there's clearly not going to be a vaccine all over the country? If this is a liability thing, the liability was still going to exist in January with trying to play. This was about being first and getting everybody else to go along with you and looking magnanimous, and it blew up in their faces. And I believe that two weeks ago they understood this had blown up. When everybody didn't follow suit and they were ready to play, certainly by last week they understood and could have already come out and said, we're going to play. They are now spinning and rationalizing that, oh, that we had to hear from more of the medical experts. You mean like the medical experts with the flawed study a month ago that all the experts from the University of Michigan Cardiology Department, the National Institute of Health in London, England, the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, world-renowned, all the cardiologists saying that study that the Big Ten's talking about is crapola.
It's a flawed study, and there's no conclusive anything right now about COVID-19 and myocarditis uh, in college players. Flawed study. They were saying it a month ago when it came out. And the Big Ten now is trying to hide behind that it's all the medical. It was never, folks, it was never about the medical more so than the politics of this and them wanting to be first and be magnanimous. And yes, the public pressure blew them up. And the pressure of the Ohio Attorney General threatening to sue the Big Ten and the Nebraska Attorney General for the state of Nebraska threatening to sue the Big Ten to say, show us the vote that you actually took when you didn't take a vote. Yeah, they told the Nebraska court uh, like a week later after the lawsuit was filed by the players. Uh, yeah, the vote was 11 to 3. But yeah, when was the meeting? Who was there? Where was it held? And what was the exact vote documented? Let's see it. This was all an arrogant, foolish attempt to be first and to be out in front. Thank goodness for all the players. I'm going to talk more about this with Brian Edwards in a second. For the players at Ohio State and Michigan State and and Nebraska and Iowa that were the dissenting ones in Wisconsin, uh, more so than the ones that didn't want to play like like the schools, uh, the, the presidents in uh, in Illinois, at Northwestern in Illinois, or in Maryland, or or in uh, New Jersey where Rutgers is. They were just adamant that we're not going to do this. And now they've all done the 180, and they unanimously stepped forward and did this. And, and one more thing here while we're talking about this on Three Dog Thursday. For all the harpooning, I'm going to bring him up, for all the harpooning of the guy on the internet, Sir Yacht, on Twitter, and our guys with the Sports Gambling Podcast had Sir Yacht on three weeks ago. In mid-August, they had him, actually four weeks ago now, they had him on right after he began to report, right after Kevin Warren said, we're never going to revisit this. It's not going to be revisited. We're shut down. As he said in the second week in August, Sir Yacht was on with my guys Sean Green and Ryan Kramer on their podcast. He was on numerous other places and doing his own media saying, I've got a source that says to me the Big Ten wants to play and will eventually play in in October. He began to call his shot four weeks ago. And guess what? Sir Yacht was right. You You can squabble with him maybe getting a little giddy. The Yacht's not here to defend himself getting a little giddy with all the details. Maybe he was making up some of the details. But kids, for the national football media that were lampooning this guy as being wrong, he was right. He was right in August. They're going to play. He said it. He tweeted it. He stood by it through all the firestorm. They're going to play, and he was right. And he even said they're playing October the 17th. They're going to play as soon as October. Forget about the November reports of a couple of weeks ago. It's not going to be November. They have to squeeze in in time for the college football playoff. They have to squeeze in time for the bowl games that are worth millions and millions of dollars besides the college football playoff. So they got to get the season in, so they got to play in October. He had a source telling him October 17th. Big Ten, lo and behold, says it's the next week, but that's because they screwed around for two weeks. They could have been playing October the 17th, but they were trying again, arrogantly, foolishly, how do we spin this? We're caught. We're screwed. So for Sir Yacht, tip of the hat here on the Three Dog Thursday podcast, because not only was he right, not only was he right with the date, but he's been reporting for two weeks, they've already decided unanimously that they are playing. And despite multiple national media members making fun of that and saying things like Illinois and Rutgers and Michigan are never going to vote yes and they're never going to play, they all voted unanimously to play. If there actually was a vote, a meeting, 
uh, minutes, who's there, who's representing what school in the actual vote. They're all 14 going to play. And the guy on the internet, Sir Yad, free pub for him again, has been putting it out there for two weeks. This is going to be unanimous. Dan Patrick, who I love, who who is a Hall of Fame uh, broadcaster, uh, he had a source obviously on this say to him early on that the vote was 11. Actually, he said the vote was 12 to 2, that the two dissents were Ohio State uh, were actually uh, uh, Nebraska and Iowa. His initial report from a source was there were two dissents in this. Well, it turns out there were many more dissents. The reports then became that there were six dissenting schools uh, because there was not an official vote, and the dissenting schools included Ohio State and included Penn State and included Wisconsin that still wanted to try to play. But in any event, Dan Patrick was reporting late last week that there were going to be numerous Big Ten schools that would be opposed to this and choose not to play. And he named Michigan. He named Michigan State. He named a couple of other ones like Rutgers and like Maryland that were not going to play. Obviously, that was wrong. Again, I'm not knocking. I love Dan Patrick, and he's tremendous. Sir Yacht held firm last week and even into this weekend, they've already decided, and it's going to be unanimous. And what did the Big Ten announce? It's unanimous. We're all playing. All 14 schools are going to play because nobody's missing out on the money. Forget about the cha-ching. The arrogant fools aren't so arrogant and foolish enough to cut the money off, especially if the other schools in the Big Ten are playing. Myocarditis. How about ring the cash registeritis? was as big a factor as anything on getting back on the football field while others were playing and taking all of the money, the national TV money, the bowl game money, the college football playoff money, because it was reasonable and safe to come back and play. So anyway, I'm on the dire chive, but hey, the hashtag Sir Yacht was right. Uh, Once again, let's go for three things. Did he say a month ago they were going to play and are they playing? Yes. Did he say the time frame was August the 17th and got it almost on the money? They're back the next week? Yes. Did he say it was going to be unanimous and say it adamantly in the face of all the criticism for two weeks? The answer is yes. Win, win, win. And we win having Big Ten football back, and the players win most of all. All right, so there we go. we got lots to talk about uh, on the games on the field. The Big Ten will eventually be around at the end of October. There are a lot of other games that are going to be played in college football. Brian Edwards straight ahead to talk about that. YouTube roundtable coming up. Jason Cole, Mark Ennis with me on the video roundtable. Brian back in the final segment talking NFL as well. As we roll on here, talking underdogs and predictions and much more and happy to do it. Yes, indeed. Time to roll the sleeves up and talk some more college football and the prognostication part of Three Dog Thursday about to commence with the Brian Edwards of BrianEdwardsSports.com and also Vegas Insider. Great insight as a senior handicapper. Look forward to talking with him about underdog picks in college and the NFL. First of all, good to have you. Good to have football ongoing, both of the college and NFL variety. And good that the Big Ten, better late than never, has joined the party finally and decided we are going to play later on in the year. Uh, Brian, I obviously spoke a lot about this in the opening segment just before you came on. Uh, I think the audience pretty well knows where uh, w- what I feel about how badly this was botched. I don't want to taint your take, your opinion. Give me your opinion now that the Big Ten has basically said, okay, we can play now. What say you? Uh, better late than never. Um, and, uh, well, you know, what took so long and what a just, uh, debacle it has been. But I mean, when you got, 
when you got the Sun Belt, you know, balling out with so much fewer resources with testing and whatnot, I'm sure they just had to be embarrassed and uh, about time they got it right. They did get it right, and obviously Ohio State ha- has a lot riding on this season as one of the teams that we look forward to with Justin Fields there at quarterback. Penn State is obviously anxious for what they can do. Um, again, to reiterate one of the things I said just before you came on, the victory here is for the players, their families in the program, because they were really the pawns in this. They were held hostage. I mean, it's one thing when you're talking about multi-million dollar coaches, you know this, Brian, and their staffs. You're talking about university presidents that are still getting paid and all, all of the uh, you know people that are involved. They're still getting, the players were the ones that wanted to play and wanted this to happen and were being basically held hostage, were being basically uh, used in this situation. So I feel the best for them, that they get the opportunity to safely and reasonably get out there and resume just like everybody else is. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm happy for the players and, and the fans and, uh, you know, the bar owners in Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> and Omaha, and Iowa City, and uh, the grocery stores and all these college towns. I mean, everything. Yes. Uh, business will uh, – I'm sure some, many businesses will be saved because of this. Well, and to your point, just real quick, and we're going to talk about uh, another ACC game that I'm getting to do on Saturday night with Miami at Louisville on national radio. I worked the Compass Media Network national radio call with Tiki Barber of North Carolina Syracuse last Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, at noon uh, in Chapel Hill. And it was eerie. It was surreal all the way around because we were staying right in Chapel Hill, right in the shadow of the campus and Keenan Stadium. And Friday night, instead of being hopping, as you as you know, Brian, in a college town, and granted, Carolina is not Tuscaloosa, it's not Austin, it's not Columbus, it, it's not Gainesville, which you're you're fond of. I mean, pick one, Ann Arbor uh, for a college town on a Friday night before a game. It it was just eerie that everything was shut down. The state is basically shut down. Uh, you know, no no fans at the game Saturday, no tailgating at the game Saturday, and it is millions of of dollars for these college towns for everything for food for lodging uh for all of the merchandise they buy the gas they buy at the gas stations coming in and out of there uh the concessions i mean it's it's millions of dollars for the schools to not have tickets sold and not have concessions and parking and everything at the school it was just bizarre and almost sad to be there at north carolina last week and see it now the interesting thing is louisville does allow fans uh, does allow some socially distanced fans, about 10% or 15%, whatever it's going to be, for the game Saturday. But it was just weird at North Carolina is my point. And you make a great point that the the residual effect on the economy in these college towns, I mean, I saw somewhere where, where Tuscaloosa is talking about, hey, if we were to not play games, you're talking about 5 to $6 million in revenue in terms of the the hotels, the restaurants, uh, all the the spending money, the stuff at the games, five or six million a game in Tuscaloosa. That's what I was about to say. You're talking about per weekend, right? Right. So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I um, yeah, I, I feel bad. I, I didn't realize North Carolina they they've had that they uh, have such stringent rules. I feel bad for everybody in America that's still dealing with that. Man, it's not like that in my little uh, small beach town. Um, we uh. We're wide open here. 
Yeah, up and running in a lot of places, the state of Florida, the state of Texas, a lot of different places. And again, no matter what your political affiliation is, et cetera, et cetera, the economic impact is a much bigger uh, ramification of all of this. So there we go. We do know that games happened on the field. Give me your take, please, Brian Edwards, on the Sun Belt, which you alluded to, winning not one, not two, but three times at Big 12 opponents, and two of them were decisive wins by Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette, and also by Coastal Carolina, Lafayette beating Iowa State in Ames decisively. And Coastal Carolina was up four touchdowns midway through the game on Kansas. Kansas made it look closer at the end of the game. But, Brian, what's your take? What do we what do we make of what the Sun Belt did to the Big 12? And, you know, South Alabama had a huge lead on a pretty good Tulane team, the way Willie Fritz has got that program on the up or on the rise. And Texas State lost a heartbreaker as well. So it could have been even better. But uh, Louisiana, I'm going to uh, I'm going to tap myself on the back because I had a number 25 in my power rankings. But then I'm going <laughs> to slap myself uh, because I had Iowa State as high as number 13. And they didn't look like a number 13 team. But Louisiana and Billy Napier – uh, I didn't like his clock management uh, late first half, but um, Louisiana is good. Um, and uh, I, don't, I think – I don't know what we take over um, on the Kansas Coastal game. Maybe just uh, the hat needs uh, still got a lot of work to do. But the Arkansas State game was great. Wow. Um, Jonathan Adams, the receiver with three touchdown catches. Uh, he <laughs> was terrific. Uh, and even Georgia Southern – yeah, I know they're playing an FCS team, but they were without 33 players and uh, found a way to rally and uh, beat an FCS, what, Campbell, I think. So, but, I mean, without 33 players, you get a W. I think you'll take that. And, uh, yeah, props to the Sun Belt. App State, you know, didn't cover and uh, was in a ball game for a while, but they, they pull away and win by double digits. Yeah, Sun Belt, man. Uh, look at them. Props to them. Sun, Sun Belt was like Fun Belt, and that catch by that kid for Arkansas State with one hand in the corner of the end zone with the game on the line, uh, incredible. I, there may there may be some equally as good catches, but I don't know that there's going to be a better catch this year for a touchdown in a clutch situation. So we've already seen some fantastic football uh, from there. Uh, let's move on now to this weekend and the games uh, that we're going to begin to look at. Um, interesting that we're still a week away from the SEC cranking up. The Big 12 has a couple of teams playing again. They had some last week, but the Big 12 games themselves mostly cranking up next week. So it is, again, the ACC, the Sun Belt, the American, and Conference USA kind of mixing together in the independents like Navy and Army and, uh, and Air Force are going to mix in. Army's game with BYU got postponed because BYU had COVID outbreaks and said we can't come play you. So that game is not going to happen, apparently, not just postponed, but it's apparently canceled because uh, Army's schedule is full for the rest of the year without an open date, a common open date with BYU. But by and large, we're going to see the ACC in the mix of the other non-Power 5 conferences here this week. So do you have one game right now that you're looking at as a possible underdog? And if so, what, what is kind of standing out at the moment? Well, I don't want to, um, you know, officially pull the, <clears throat> excuse me, pull the trigger on it. Um, but I, I'm looking at Louisiana Tech plus five and a half against Southern Miss. But I have not been able to track down all, you know, the injury and COVID information that I to feel comfortable to tell your listeners to definitely sure. bet it because I know La Tech 
their, their game got canceled or postponed or pushed back, whatever, last week because they had had a COVID outbreak. But if, if LaTeX is close to full speed with their personnel and, you know, I, I'm going to depend on, like, literally getting that from a beat reporter on Friday, you know, um, just scanning Twitter for LaTeX. Uh, COVID, LaTeX injuries, et cetera. I, don't, I just don't feel comfortable enough uh, right now. But we saw Southern Miss lose outright by double digits uh, to South Alabama, although South Alabama was mauling Tulane for three quarters last week. So maybe that's not such an indictment on Southern Miss, but they had the drama of their coach, yep. uh, you know, getting uh, fired. So I'm looking at LaTeX uh, plus five and a half, but I, I need to get some more intel on how many players might might be out with COVID, whatever. So I'm not quite pulling the trigger but looking at LaTeX okay and again that is a Saturday night conference USA game that is a league game on on Saturday night scheduled for Hattiesburg Mississippi and we haven't even touched on the tropical storm Sally as it is now it made landfall as a category one hurricane hurricane tropical storm Sally has wreaked havoc on the Gulf South again Louisiana Mississippi and in this area we don't know at the time we're taping are they going to be able to play that game is everything all right with Saturday night we think that it is and Brian is just saying okay pay attention here to La Tech how many guys they have how many are still sick but you might like that five and a half in the matchup uh, with Southern Miss. Uh, again, Southern Miss has played a game, and Louisiana Tech has not. I was big on that last week in UAB's case, playing at Miami, Alabama-Birmingham, out of uh, out of Conference USA. Didn't work out for my Blazers pick, as Miami was able to win and cover. But I'm going to go right back to that with a game here with Georgia Tech off the win last week over Florida State. I know it just breaks your heart, Brian Edwards, to see the Seminoles struggle once again under Mike Norvell, first game replacing Willie Taggart. Florida State got off to a 10-0 start. The problem is with the weather delay and then the rest of the game being played, it, it was all downhill after that, and Georgia Tech ends up knocking them off with a freshman quarterback in Jeff Sims. Uh, having a solid day, throwing for 277 in the air, ran for another 50 yards. They upset Florida State, coming back from 10 down to win. They now play host to Josh Heupel's UCF Golden Knights. That is a Saturday afternoon ABC National Television game, and I like the Jackets here in this spot, getting 7.5 at home. They've played a game. I, comparable athletes, maybe not as much speed, but comparable athletes. I like Georgia Tech here. I'm going to take them as an underdog, Brian Edwards. Well, uh, and I, I wish you luck on that one. I, I'm, I'm a pass on on that game. Um, it, but how about Georgia Tech, uh, the quarterback uh, who had been an original FSU commit and, and then uh, flipped to Georgia Tech, and, and Sam Howell did the same uh, the year before, flipped on the Knolls. And so they're going to take L's from two quarterbacks that they, that they had committed uh, during the course of this season. And if FSU can't beat Georgia Tech at home off a three and nine year, um, they're going to have a hard time uh, winning football games. Yeah, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed that. And look, I mean, Georgia Tech uh, couldn't make a kick or a field goal or an extra point the whole game, and yet they end up still winning uh, despite anemic uh, special teams. Uh, through most of the game and again UCF boasts the left-handed quarterback Dylan Gabriel from Hawaii he's kind of like the mini version of Marcus Mariota Uh, coming from Hawaii broke a lot of Mariota's record so he's back Um, interesting that one of their other quarterbacks uh, Daryl Mack opted out 
uh, because of of COVID nineteen. They they also. Uh, have some of their skill players back. But again, it's a first game for them. They have had to pause practice at 1.2 because of COVID-19. Now they're playing a Georgia Tech team in Atlanta that's already played a game. I'll take the Jackets, even though Brian is saying uh, beware. You don't have another college underdog that stands out on the game that I'm doing, Louisville and Miami. Tiki Barber and I, again, another plug, will call this game on Compass Media Networks nationally. Find your local listing uh, for the game in your area on a radio station. It's also going to be streamed online on some of these different radio stations where you can hear us in your market through Compass Media Network's coverage of the ACC in this case. Louisville, an easy winner over Western Kentucky last weekend. Miami, the Thursday night win, as I mentioned, over UAB. Miami, the short underdog, a two or two and a half point underdog. Canes ran the ball really well in that first game with UAB. Uh, Louisville explosive on offense with the dual threat quarterback Malik Cunningham. He can throw it. He can run it. Brian, just give me an overall thought on the game here itself. It's a primetime game. Well, I had Louisville last week for a cover, uh, and they they really dominated that game more so than the final score suggested. They out-yarded the Hilltoppers 487 to 248. Cunningham looked good, 343 passing yards, three touchdowns, one pick, and he had a rushing uh, touchdown as well. Uh, I, I know we don't like to tout chalk, but uh, let's just say I will not be on the Hurricanes. That is for sure. And just a couple personnel notes, because uh, you mentioned uh, the UAB-Miami game. Uh, UAB's uh, two-year starting quarterback, Tyler Johnston, is out indefinitely with an injury to his non-throwing shoulder. And also in Conference USA, Charlotte's quarterback, Chris Reynolds, 22 to 11 TDI and T ratio last year and ran for over 700 yards and is a, a dual threat guy. He is also out this week at UNC and boy, the Tar Heels were late getting going, but fortunately, yep. and, even, and, it, and it was even hairy in the third quarter. They weren't doing anything, but finally they got that offense going in the fourth quarter. And I hit a uh, team total over 20 and a half uh, for the second half on Carolina and I have minus 10 and a half in the second half, which, what, they were up 7-3, so it was minus 14.5 adjusted. But uh, UNC did not look as good as I've been hyping them all summer, but maybe it was a wake-up call that they needed. Um, and maybe Dino Babers and the Cuse are a little better than we thought. I think it's I both. I think it's both. I think it was a maybe. sloppy, sloppy first game, and I think Syracuse a little better, especially on defense. It was a 7-6 game in the third quarter, still a 10-6 game after three, but North Carolina made some big plays, and I think Syracuse got tired. Sam Howell looked much better in the second half, more comfortable in that game at quarterback. We'll see what North Carolina has as the year goes on as one of the top teams in the ACC. Interesting that North Carolina and Clemson don't play each other in the regular season uh, on the on the revised ACC schedule. Miami and Louisville again do play each other in Miami with De'Eric King at quarterback. Do they have something for Louisville? I'm anxious to see what happens uh, in that game. All right, plenty on the college football plate. Brian, stand by. We've got our YouTube roundtable coming up. Again, our guest, Mark Ennis and also Jason Cole will mix it up. Speaking of Louisville, Mark Ennis in Louisville, Jason Cole, longtime National Football writer, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter new John Elway book is out uh, from him so we're anxious to talk to those guys on the YouTube roundtable and then Brian Edwards back with me on the other side talking NFL on the audio version of the podcast it is Three Dog Thursday as we roll on
But first, let's talk more about our friends at MyBookie.ag. Winning season has returned at MyBookie, and that means doubling your first deposit. Whether you're talking about making prop bets, big bonuses, the craziest cross-sport wagers, or just wagering straight up on your favorite NFL, college football, NBA, Stanley Cup Finals games, whatever it is, at MyBookie.ag, that's where you want to be. Live sports, betting live sports, all season long, it lives at my bookie. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have picked up right where they left off, and the NFL has returned in a big way, and that means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes are there week in and week out for the NFL. Get in on all the action and use our promo code with my bookie, SGP, for the Sports Gambling Podcast. SGP. Double your first deposit with that promo code SGP for new players up to $1,000. You put $250 in, they'll match it. You put 500 in as a new user, they'll match it. It creates more excitement around the sports you love, the games you bet. Remember the promo code SGP. Double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. We're also brought to you in part by DraftKings, and it was nice to see everything back on the NFL gridiron over the weekend. And it was only just week number one. There's no better place to get in on all the action for the NFL, college football, and daily fantasy than DraftKings. So to add to this week's excitement, DraftKings has millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs. And if you haven't tried DraftKings yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss out. Nothing adds the excitement to to watching a game like having millions of dollars of prizes on the line, and all you have to do is download the DraftKings app, sign up, get in, and get a chance to win millions of dollars. DraftKings has already paid out billions of dollars to winners since 2012, so they know all about cold, hard cash. Download the app, use the promo code SGP, and for a limited time, a new user gets a shot at a million dollars in prizes. That includes this week. Don't miss out on the Week 2 action in the NFL, the college football, and more. Promo code is SGP for a free shot at a million dollars with DraftKings. Again, a minimum deposit of $5 is necessary. Eligibility restrictions do apply. You can see DraftKings.com for more details. But right now, go with the leader in daily fantasy. Go with DraftKings and our promo code SGP. We're also brought to you in part by BetQL. If you want to get an advantage over your sports book with the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball back in action, you need to download this app, BetQL. It's the only app you need to make smart bets this season. And they've got some great algorithms, a best bet algorithm that has thousands of data points to give you the top information and the best recommendation on what to wager on. Uh, Whether you're talking about the NBA games, whether you're talking about the UFC pay-per-view this weekend, whether you're talking about the fights that we're talking about on Big Fight Weekend, you go to BetQL, you pick from all of the different uh, data points and recommendations. They're giving you great info, great sharp data to help you make the bet. You can even see where most of the betting public is betting if you want to go the opposite direction. And with BetQL, if you live in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Colorado, or West Virginia, you can claim an exclusive offer from sportsbooks and use BetQL's data to make the right bets. Again, if you're in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Colorado, West Virginia, a special offer awaits you with BetQL. Go to the Apple Store, go to the Google Play Store, download it, enter the promo code SGP, by the way, and you get 20% off your initial subscription. So even more incentive for BetQL. Remember the promo code is SGP20 and take 20% off with BetQL. 
And if you've ever thought of owning your own sportsbook but you didn't know how, Ace Per Head is here to help you start it up. They'll provide you with an all-inclusive professional betting site with all the lines updated up to the second and wagers graded immediately. They've got top-notch customer service going 24-7, some of the sharpest lines in the industry, and plus... Ace Per Head also has live betting and a great mobile experience. You can get started today. Ace is offering six weeks free, by the way. Go to aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP to find out more. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. Well, we are back in here on Three Dog Thursday. Time again for the video roundtable on YouTube. Another reminder, if you're only hearing us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, come see the smiling faces and the moving pictures on the YouTube video, including Jason Cole, who is already showing off, prior to me pressing record, the beautiful uh, Cole estate that he repainted uh, over the course of about six to nine weeks. Uh, Jason Cole, longtime national football writer, uh, author, uh, NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, and uh, author of a new John Elway book that we're going to get to. How are you, Mighty One? I am fantastic because I have recovered from painting not only the walls but the ceiling of this room um, and having to do it numerous times because it was such a dark blue. But we won't speak of that again because it was a nightmare, um, but I'm fabulous. Thank you. All right. That's outstanding. Also with me waiting patiently is Mark Ennis, the afternoon host of The Drive on ESPN Louisville's radio station. And I have several reasons that I have Mark here, not the least of which is the Saturday night huge college football game Louisville and Miami that he's obviously very interested in. I'm working that game as well on national radio. They couldn't find anybody else. I was available. I answered the phone. I'll be there for Louisville, Miami Saturday. But Mark is also, Jason Cole, a huge B-U-C-C-A-N-E-E-R-S Go Bucks fan. And we're both kind of Jones and Mark Ennis. Good to have you, Captain. It's good to be back. I paid my dues like the old-fashioned way. We used to buy cheap end zone seats in the old Sombrero and move to the 40-yard line shortly after kickoff. I've, I paid my dues. Yeah, a lot Indeed. of bad football in the uh, in the orange creamsicle uniforms, although, as Doug Williams and the late Leroy Selman always said, we never had any problems winning in the orange uniforms. It was kind of after uh, they left and gone that things were uh, were that bad. But Mark and I go back that far with the Buccaneers and with this team. All right, so let's, let's get right to it uh, here on the roundtable. You know, uh, Jason, where Mark and I are coming from. I'm obviously part of the Bucks radio broadcast. Mark is obviously sure. a fan. He's there in Louisville. Grew up in this uh, in the Tampa Bay area where I am and is a fan. Give me some objectivity, if you would, uh, Mr. Cole here on Buccaneers. Losing the opening game with the Saints. Saints are a good team, playing at home. What did, what did you make of that, by the way? Uh, what happened there in the Superdome as the Brady era gets off to a loss? I mean, there wasn't any magic to this first game. Like you were, you, I think everybody was hoping that you bring in Brady and then magically everything is transformed. And then all of a sudden you sit back and go, oh, yeah, well, maybe this is a little more painful than we think it's going to be. And transition's not as simple as you just plug and play a guy and everything's okay. Um, you know, there's, there was communication problems. The first interception, when we were looking at the second interception, yep. but the first interception on the one to Evans, you know, where Evans runs the wrong route. You can see it on Brady's face. And, 
and they realize that. And then that second throw, Brady's trying to make a play because they're down. They're trying to rally in this game, and I get that. But he can't make that throw anymore, not from the wide side, you know, right. on, on the left trying to throw all the way back to the right sideline. You know, you're, you are 43 years old. That doesn't happen anymore. So don't make that throw. But, I, I you know, people who are saying, oh, hey, um, you know, this is Jameis, just like what was going on with Jameis. You know, give it a little time. You know, give it, give it a, give it a break. Pump the brakes a little bit, and give it a little time to mix. I still think this is a game. This is a team that end up, ends up winning 10, 11 games and making the playoffs. I love them as a contender. I think they're a really strong team overall. But uh, this road game, no, this one wasn't going to work in this situation. And well, and Mark, what? Sure. And Mark, one of the things that we know, because we've watched the Bucks for so long, they have become experts uh, over the course of their whole history of beating themselves with turnovers and mistakes. And it doesn't matter if Tom Brady's a first ballot unanimous Hall of Famer. If you make mistakes and turn it over, they had a botched kickoff uh, fumble uh, in the second half that was a killer. Too many mistakes, Mark, against, against good teams, you're not going to win. And we talked about this in the context of college, sort of on the show, like, you have to be extra gracious in week one. You didn't even get like preseason games where just sort of the perfunctory reps to do some basic stuff. And I thought they looked like a team that really hadn't played against somebody else together. I think you were hoping though, New Orleans not going to be the sort of the madhouse that it normally is, that maybe you'd be a little more uh, sort of tough mentally. And I thought they were still kind of the same out of sorts team that they always are when they play in New Orleans. Yes, and there was no crowd. There was no – I mean, right. it was eerie. Bruce, Bruce Arians called it weird uh, that there was no crowd cheering no matter what happened, uh, booing if it went badly. So it's just the new normal, I guess, in the NFL. Um, and, and, look, it, it does take some time, and the schedule is a lot easier. We'll talk about this a little bit more here. Panthers at home, followed by the Broncos. More on the Broncos with Jason in a couple of moments here. Um, and then the L.A. Chargers at home, you have an opportunity if you're the Bucs and you play well and you play smart to be 3-1. and one. You could win all three of those games, two of them at home, and then everything calms down. For right now, though, in and around the market, uh, there's a lot going nuts. Jason Cole to you because we don't just want to dominate this with Buccaneer conversation, even though Mark and I would enjoy that. Give me a team. Give me a, give me a player. Give me a game that stood out from you on weekend number one of the NFL, if you would. Well, I thought generally the quality of play was so much better than I expected. And the equivalent of most first weeks, or even, even if not a little bit better, which tells you we don't even need preseason at this point, except for maybe young players trying to figure out how to play in this league and judge them whether they're capable of playing in the league. But that's a separate matter. And on your question, I think there were, two, there were two that stood out. From a team standpoint, it's the Arizona Cardinals going into San Francisco. And again, no fans, so it's not tr- you know your traditional away game kind of kind of thing. But still, you're pl- you're going on the road. You're still having to deal with travel. You're still having dis- some distractions. They dealt with that, and they won a huge game for them. And now they ha- came up with a, a blocked punt um, that helped turn that game. But I thought that was huge for them. And I, I on an individual level. Mitchell Trubisky, um, I mean, just look, he, he was horrible for you know better part of three quarters. And all of a sudden, it just switches, and he looks like that franchise quarterback. And moreover, the Lions, you know, just blow another fourth quarter lead under Matt Patricia. 
But Trubisky just made some sensational throws. And the game winner is as good a throw as you can make for any quarterback. So I was shocked by what I saw because he got it back together and it gives you hope that maybe Trubisky will finally put all those parts in place and become the player that they thought he would be. Watch me serve one up. Thank you, Jason Cole. You're hearing the voice of Jason Cole if you're only on the audio podcast. Again, find us on the YouTube version of this. You'll see us. You'll see highlights that we're talking about. You'll hear video references we're making. That's how you find us is on the YouTube version of this and a social media link of Three Dog Thursday. Mark Ennis, I'm going to serve it up on a silver platter. Lamar Jackson had to stand out to you yet again off the MVP season. He was brilliant. I know it's the Browns, but he was brilliant again. Yeah, well, I'll, you you served it up, but I was I was going to go there anyway. Yeah, he he looked fantastic, and I thought what I what was impressive about that game is there was really no crazy long run from him. It was very workmanlike. The vast majority of it was from the pocket, uh, and then you got to see some of the the younger guys, J.K. Dobbins. Like that's not fair for them to be able to go from Mark Ingram to J.K. Dobbins running the ball like that uh, now. And then really the the Browns are a story too. You thought, all right, Stefanski's coming in there. It's not Freddie Kitchens and kind of a zoo, a guy who shouldn't be a head coach. They've invested so much, and they look worse. They look worse. And don't forget, they beat the, they beat the Ravens week what three or four last year. Yes, forty on them. Yes, and, they, and he throws an interception on the opening drive. Uh, the, the Ravens upgraded on defense. It showed, and the Browns are still going backwards despite all the investments there. Cole loves it when I give these stats. The first year coaches or the first. A season first game with a new team, including the first-year coaches like Stefanski, were one and four Sunday on weekend number one. Ron Rivera was the only one that won with a new team, the Redskins, and he's not a first-year coach. He's a longtime coach. The number now over the last three seasons, I believe this is correct. I did the original research. Two and 14, thank you. Or, uh, uh, yes, two, two and 14 is the record on the opening weekend. It had been one and 10. It is now 2-14 in the last 16 times that a first-game new coach coaches weekend one. Just keep keep an eye on that for next year. It's it not is, easy, right, Jason? It's, it's a bad form of baptism. Is that what we're trying to say? <laughs> or baptism by fire, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was trying not to go, go cliche, but um... – but, it, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. Baptism by fire. We're, we're, I mean, it's, look, it's, it's just, a, it's an overwhelming, it's an overwhelming task to finally be in charge hmm. and to understand all the things that you have to do on the sideline. And I think that a lot of coaches don't understand that until they, it, it's sort of like playing. You don't know what the feel like is like until you actually do it. And you're trying to run the whole game and you're trying to call plays and you're trying to keep track of this and you're trying to keep track of that. And most guys don't learn, I can't do that. And I think the clever coaches learn, Good point. okay, I can handle this, but let me go have somebody who can do clock management and timeout management and replay stuff for me. And I'm going to defer completely on the defensive side to my coordinator unless I have to parachute in. Like, that's what I think coaches really have to learn. And, and it's just too hard in the first, in the first week, unless you're a guy – as you pointed out, like Rivera. To, to Jason's first point, though, about how crisp the play was, you know, relatively speaking for week one, only 18 holding calls on offensive line across the entire league. It's the fewest in, in, in a single week in 20 years. I saw that. I think they're not they're, – they're maybe not calling. Was it – yeah, was it some yeah. of, hey, let it go, or was it a little bit better play? I was surprised. There were really only two games, and then we'll move off the NFL and move on to more specific stuff – 
I believe the Chargers game uh, with the Bengals that I didn't see a lot of. Not a very well-played offensive game. And there was maybe one other one. And other than that, almost every game had explosive plays, had lots of touchdowns. There were, there were not slush, you know, 10-6, 13-10 games by and large. Correct me if I'm wrong, but by and large, the no, offense was right. better. You're right. And I think another thing that to point out is what I have always noticed in the first week and even through the first three weeks in the NFL season um, is the tackling is poor. Um, you know, you, yeah, you get holding calls and you get some sloppiness and you get some low scoring games. And yeah, maybe Denver and Tennessee wasn't the best played game in the world either, but it was still kind of exciting. But the thing that impressed me in all this is the level of tackling, especially when you go how like Denver's defense played against Tennessee, against Derrick Henry, and how much they hit him and hit him hard. That impressed me for this week. And again, gets me feeling like the college model may be smarter than what the NFL model is, which is just go play and don't worry about preseason. Yeah, because college obviously does not have that. They just come in and play. And we'll get to Louisville in the market where Mark is uh, and the college game as we, as we round on. And we'll get to some underdog thoughts uh, on this uh, as well on Three Dog Thursday. All right, so Jason mentioned Denver there in passing. And this ties in, uh, again, you've been working for a long time. And I wanted to get you on because the book Ooh. is out. On the on the Elway, did I see the exhale uh, there from uh, from uh, Jason uh, yes, Cole? Yesterday was let me just say yesterday <laughs> the the Tuesday the fifteenth um, of September was a glorious day because it just ended seven years of research and writing, <laughs> talking to more than two hundred people, battling with editors, trying to sell a book, do this. And there it that. is. Oh, there it is. And right you gave there. birth. What you're saying I, is I, you gave I, birth. I truly, I and gave there's the birth. baby. And the baby is right there, and I am so proud of that. It's octuplets. Um, and I just, you you know, I'm octomom. I'm what, you know, it's it's fantastic. That feeling of accomplishment um, after working so hard for this. And to have people, yeah, I was on one Denver station a couple of days ago, and it was a life, you know, lifetime Denver um, resident and radio host who said, I thought I knew everything about Elway and I read this and I learned so much about Elway in this book. And I just was like, that's exactly what you want to hear when you write a book like this. Amen. Your research is, is um, transcendent um, about, a, about a figure who is this enormous to begin with. Well, and again, compliments and props to Jason for taking that amount of time because, again, he is an amazing figure when you consider number one overall pick, engineered the original trade, saying, I don't want to play for the Colts, could have played baseball. That's in the book. You teased us with that. Could have played for the New York Yankees who drafted him, won yep. Super Bowls, and has now transitioned uh, to the Denver Broncos. Just one more uh, front office, one more to you. They've had the highest of success, Jason, but right now they're really struggling, and they didn't look a lot better on Monday night, Elway's uh, Broncos. And this really eats at him uh, right now that they're having this kind of problems again this season. And, and I, the competitive side of that relentless life of John Elway, the Broncos not very good still. No, I mean, I think the talent level's there. I mean, like you see – with Judy and Fant, and you see hints of it with Locke. You know, we're not quite sold on Locke yet, but there, there are certainly some positive things. Offensive line looked better. Running backs are okay. If you, you put Sutton back out there, I think it's a very complete looking offense and can be very explosive. 
but Judy's got to catch the ball, right? Like he had two drops in that game, including the killer one with four minutes left where, you know, they're about to go in, get a, a field goal, get a score, do something that changes the outcome of that game or changes the dynamics of that game in the last minute for, for Tennessee. It didn't happen. But I, I think you see promise. But when Vic Fangio is not calling timeouts with a minute 27 left and costing himself in the end of it about probably 30 seconds of, of time on the clock, you know, maybe 20, maybe only 20. But that can make a whole huge difference in how you manage your last possession. And that's the kind of stuff that John Elway is going to look down there and say, do I have the right guy coaching here? Mm-hmm. Do I have, you know, and, and Fangio last year blew a, lot, a bunch of these close games. I think that they had three games like this that came down to the fourth quarter, if not the last minute of the game, that they, they didn't handle well. And I know that Elway will have no patience for that. As much as he believes in Fangio and the job he's going to do, and yes, Vaughn Miller wasn't there, and you can make a million excuses. But that game was a winnable game. And if it's a winnable game, John Elway is going to say, we have to get that game. Or Competitor that is, uh, that is there on Mr. Elway for sure. So, again, we'll get another plug in for Jason's book uh, coming up. The, uh, the voice of Jason Cole with me, longtime National Football League writer with Yahoo Sports, Bleacher Report, love his insight, pro football Hall of Fame voter, and the new book is out right now uh, on John Elway, A Relentless Life that he has been working on for years, telling uh, stories and all the different uh, insight that he's gotten from different people on that. All right, Mark Ennis, let's come back to you and the uh, the matchup that is going to be coming up. Uh, that is Louisville and Miami. The Cardinals got off to a fantastic uh, start against Western Kentucky last Saturday night. We're looking at that here with Malik Cunningham, the quarterback, uh, having a uh, an outstanding game in particular in the first half. Got him in the end zone, what, four times in the first half. So, again, this is in your wheelhouse. Louisville now in the ACC hosting Miami coming up uh, here on Saturday night in prime time. Everybody in your town's talking about the Cardinals and how they looked, and I know you were relieved to have football back on the football field here for Louisville in this opening game. Yeah, relieved is a great word for it. I mean, there's really nothing worse that could happen to this city than for the NCAA tournament to get canceled. Uh, so we lived through that, and I think the prospect of maybe football not happening was going to be too much for people, especially coming off last year, uh, where Louisville was so much better in year one under Scott Satterfield than anybody thought they would be. You know, the implosion of 2-10 and ten under Bobby Petrino, and you're like, I just hope they win maybe four games and, and look like they want to be there again. And then they go 8-5, and five, win a bowl game. It looked just dramatically different. Uh, yeah, people are very excited, and they are a very, very big play offense, which is kind of not really Scott's uh, kind of wheelhouse. You go back to the App State days, they were very physical and kind of run-oriented and played great defense, and this team's very different, but I'll give him props for sort of being uh, flexible and sort of making the most of what they've got, which is some very, very good skill players. Uh, this Malik Cunningham, the quarterback, you were, you were filling me in. He's an Alabama kid, but he's undersized a little bit. So he got out of Alabama, but he looked fantastic as the dual threat quarterback. And again, the nation's going to get to see him. There's not as many college football games right now. I know the Big Ten is now back. The SEC, though, not playing. The Big Ten not playing. So this game will be featured a little bit more. And Cunningham is a fun quarterback, and Miami's going to have their hands full against this guy Monday, on a, a Saturday night. Yeah, he, he is a, a great deep ball thrower. And he, did, he had just the opposite reputation before sort of being in, in, input into the lineup a year ago. After the first two weeks, Juwan Pass was the quarterback last year, and Scott Satterfield kept complaining, hey, we're running the ball pretty well. 
uh, and the tight ends and stuff's working pretty well. But we've got to get the ball down the field. Week three against Western Kentucky, he's forced into the lineup because of injury, and it was bombs away. And, and it really became kind of their calling card by the end of last year, and that continued on. And they've got three receivers that they feel extremely good about that can get down the field. And they had four plays of over 40 yards in the first half, you know, against Western Kentucky. The big play is a big part of what they do. All right. The voice again of Mark Ennis. Follow him at Mark Ennis. Also, Jason Cole here. Follow him at Jason Cole 62. If you're only hearing us again on Three Dog Thursday, I know I repeatedly say this, but we got a lot of people listening on Apple Podcasts, on uh, Spotify, on Google Podcasts that found us through the Sports Gambling Podcast network of shows, sportsgamblingpodcast.com. Find the video. Find the video on YouTube. You'll see Mark Ennis. You'll see Jason Cole. You'll see me kicking it around on the video roundtable. And uh, again, we have fun with all of this. All right, so one other thing that I like to do is we like to get to the underdogs uh, for this week just to have fun. Maybe you have one, maybe you have more, guys. I've got the odds up from our friends at uh, mybookie.ag here for this week for the lines. Jason Cole, I'll go to you first. You have an underdog that stands out. I know things begin on Thursday night with the the Browns uh, giving the Cincinnati Bengals six points, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm looking at a couple of them, but I don't want to speak for you. Do you have an underdog on this list as we take a look that stands out for this week just for fun? Well, I, God, Tampa given nine is a big number. I mean, I like Tampa to win that game, but given nine is a lot. Yep. Right? Um, I also like – I mean, the Rams are getting a point and a half. I believe so, um, yes. Yeah, like I like – if the Rams are getting points in that one – yeah, they were successful last week against the Cowboys no, getting no, points it's, it's at home. Philly, Philly. Philly is actually getting the yeah, point and a half at home. You're right, as we see it. Yeah, and then Houston. Sure, that Houston-Baltimore game. Well, and, know, and that's, that, jumped, that kind of jumped off the page a little bit. That was a plus seven, I think, for Houston on that one. That's and correct, at home. And the home. And the home underdogs actually at, did at, all at right. Home, yeah, you know. Deshaun Watson, I just don't see that he's going to – I think he's going to be geeked up for this game. Now, I don't like what they've done in the offseason in Houston losing DeAndre Hopkins. I think it showed in a big way. They weren't. They really weren't competitive at all against Kansas City after the first quarter. But I just get the feeling that Deshaun Watson is not going to really be patient, especially when he's going up against Lamar Jackson. Yeah, no doubt. That's the big matchup uh, that's going to be upcoming. Show out. Yeah, no doubt uh, with those two guys. That's for sure. All right, so Mark Ennis, did you have one that just stands out to you? I mean, Jason was saying be leery of the Panthers. First road game for Matt Rule as an NFL coach. Teddy Bridgewater, a Louisville guy. There's a Louisville connection again coming into Tampa. That's a nine-point line. Was there another one that stood out for you there uh, as an underdog? And maybe it's a college underdog. I don't know if you have one for fun on Three Dog Thursday. Yeah, the college slate isn't great, uh, honestly. Uh, I'm a little surprised Miami is an underdog to Louisville right now, given last year's game. But in the NFL, I really liked what New England did with Cam Newton in week one. They're four-point underdogs, I think, uh, against, Seattle, against Seattle. They got a great defense. That'll be a, sh- a short game, given the way both teams sort of like to run the ball and that sort of thing. I like uh, – you give me New England and some points. I like what they did on offense. I think that doesn't look too bad to me. 
Well, and again, there's a question mark around that game, too, the seriousness of the fires and the air quality and the smoke in Seattle about is that game going to be played outside in Seattle? What are the alternative sites that they might play it? Again, it's Three Dog Thursday that we're debuting the podcast. We don't know. And that decision may not be made until later in the weekend about can they play it there? Does the air quality improve? And so that might uh, be an issue as well uh, there on that. All right, we're coming to the end of our conversation time here on the video roundtable. Let me get the plugs in one more time. Uh, Again, for Mark Ennis, here is how and where you find him on the drive weekday afternoons in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, He is the godfather of Louisville Sports Talk Radio. Find him on 93.9 The Ville uh, on the ESPN uh, sports radio affiliate there in the afternoons a little did I do good enough there on the plug and they find you at Mark Ennis on Twitter give him a follow in particular with this game coming on uh, Saturday night in prime time against the Miami Hurricanes and then we mentioned Jason Cole uh, as well here's the book you're seeing it on the video screen again the book is out from Hatchet Books Elway A Relentless Life Jason has Jason has relentlessly worked on this book uh, and has it out as of this week. It is available in bookstores, Amazon, correct, Jason? Where else Amazon, can they get a hold Barnes of it? AmazonBarnesandNoble.com, the whole shebang. You can Anywhere that you buy a book, you can find uh, Elway, A Relentless Life. And please do, because I, like, hey, I like writing books. Can I, so. can I ju- you, you said uh, like a Denver person uh, said, I, I thought I knew everything about Elway. I don't want you to give the whole book away, but it's like, is there, is there an Elway factor story that, that we wouldn't know that you could share without giving the whole probably book like nine of them give him a, a good there, one there, well there, there's a bunch of them like the, my one of the favorite ones was when he and daryl strawberry faced off to the la high school championship in 1979 so you have the number one overall pick from the 1980 mlb draft against the number one pick in the 1983 <laughs> nfl draft it's kind of cool the way that i i pat myself on the back but yeah, the way I explained the whole game and what the lead up to it, you know, what happened. That's that's a cool story that a lot of people don't know about. My favorite one is the intrigue of Edgar Kaiser, who almost nobody knows who he is, but he was the owner of the Broncos for two years in 82, 83, sold the team in 84. He's the guy who actually thought of, thought of making the trade for Elway. And he's the guy who actually engineered the whole thing. And so the way the whole thing breaks down over months, basically, of him convincing and making, you know, making this happen. Because Dan Reeves thought it would never happen. Mm-hmm. And John Beek, the general manager, never thought that they would pull off this trade. Edgar Kaiser, absolutely 100% is the guy who pulled off the trade and executed it. And I will say the, the, key, the last key element of making the trade work was two preseason games. One played in 1984 and one played in 1985 after the trade was made. Mm-hmm. You'll have to read the book to find out why those two games are are critical. But that's an example of the kinds of things that I elucidate in this book. Well, and he does a fantastic job bringing it more modern because, again, a lot of the younger fans don't appreciate how fantastic Elway was as a player. Uh, Cole and I are old farts. Mark is not as old as we are. But we remember watching Elway. A lot of the younger fans uh, know Elway more as the executive with Tim Tebow and that whole – a circus and Tebow winning a playoff game. There's stuff in the book about that. And then engineering the Peyton Manning trade recently, uh, or actually signing him as a free agent, yep. as it turns out, luring him to Denver, and they win a Super Bowl. All of the juice is there. on all. And Elway and Manning weren't getting along at the end. There's another tease. 
right, Jason, uh, if they need no, to read the book no, right. and find out? There, right. There's a great question that John Elway asked Peyton Manning after the 2014 season. Um, that was, let's just say it was loaded, fully loaded, <laughs> was the, is the way I will put it. Okay, so again, I'm going to share the screen one more time that the book is Elway, A Relentless Life. Check it out right here. It's in bookstores everywhere. Uh, there you go from Hatchet Books, the definitive biography on John Elway, the Hall of Fame quarterback, and now the head honcho, the president and GM of the Denver Broncos. So check that out. Check out Mark Ennis again, ESPN Louisville. You can find him on the net on ESPN Louisville weekday afternoons and that huge game with the Miami Hurricanes coming up. Uh, again, guys, thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me on Three Dog Thursday. You were great. Jason, good luck with the book. Mark, thank I'll be you. seeing you in Louisville this weekend as well. That is, if you want to be seen with me. I'm not sure I presuppose that. I look forward to seeing you this weekend, and thank you guys for hanging out here on Three Dog Thursday. Anytime. Excellent time. Love it with these guys. The podcast rolls on. Brian Edwards rejoins me to talk more NFL on Three Dog Thursday as we continue. We are back in with Brian Edwards, senior handicapper, brianedwardsports.com. You find great content from him. Always great handicapping as well with his picks at Vegas Insider. He's been with us on Three Dog Thursday now for the last uh, year and a half or so, last football season and all the way through. And again, a, a tip of the hat to you, my friend, that you hung in during the COVID shutdown in April and May and June when we didn't have a lot to talk about. We've got football. We've got football, college and the NFL variety uh, back week one of the NFL uh, in the books. Uh, okay, go ahead. I, I made mention at the beginning of the podcast. It's now all the way at the end. My Buccaneers, I, I'm taking broadside hits everywhere because the Bucks didn't look so good against the Saints. I had them for Three Dog Thursday purposes last week. New Orleans was better. They were better fundamentally. The Bucks with turnovers, with mistakes. You're not going to beat the Saints in the Superdome doing that, crowd or no crowd. Go ahead. Let me have it about Brady and the Bucks taking the L. Go ahead. Come on. Go ahead. No, no, my Falcons got their ass beat too. I got nothing. But look, a lot of teams are going to lose uh, in the big easy this year. And in fact, I think I pointed out last week that the Saints are my pick to win the Super Bowl. So uh, no shame in that one. Uh, no, I'm not going to give you uh, the business on that one. Yeah, and, and a reminder again uh, that the Buccaneers had all this hype around John Gruden. I know it was 18 years ago. All this hype around Gruden. Uh, coming in with all the great players, Sapp, uh, Brooks, Hall of Fame caliber players, John Lynch, Keyshawn Johnson, Mike Allstott. They lost the first game that year, Brian Edwards. I was there to the New Orleans Saints. And everybody the next day when I was doing five-day-a-week sports radio was just clobbering in the Tampa Bay area. John Gruden's hire. Why did you get rid of Tony Dungy? What a mistake this is. Fans love to overreact after one week. They want to they kill DeAndre Swift up in Detroit uh, for dropping the potential game-winning touchdown pass against the Bears after one week. Boy, Steven Goskowski is lucky he made the winning field goal because he Ooh. missed everything else for the Titans on Monday. It's one game, though. So you got to let the season play out, and that Buccaneer team went on to win 12 games that year in the Super Bowl. I don't know that this Buccaneer team will do that, but I, I, I keep saying to everybody, like you like what I do with the, uh, the wagering component, anybody that wants to wager me that they're going to win four or five games versus winning nine or ten games, bring that wager to the Bucs sideline guy. Bring that wager to TJ. If you think the Bucs with 43-year-old Tom Brady or not are only going to win four or five games if he's healthy, please. They're going to find a way to get it together, and probably this week against the Carolina Panthers. 
let's see if Brian Edwards uh, likes Carolina maybe as an underdog. Maybe, maybe not. What do you like? Uh, first of all, coming off last weekend, did anybody stand out? Superlative, team, player, whatever. I asked that of uh, of Jason Cole in the roundtable segment just before you came on. Team, player, game that stood out out of the NFL last weekend for you? Do you have one? Well, I'll, I'll go the negative Nathan route. Uh, the Bengals kicker missing that chippy and Jostkowski <laughs> I had to like I get yeah the Titans fan base should give him a pass because he is a good kicker but for those of us who had the Titans minus three my gosh you missed an extra uh. point and three field goals oh brutal so uh you know I, I, and I'll can I go ahead into my Cincinnati I'll talk you absolutely about can it was Randy Randy Bullock by the way was the kicker and I haven't seen yet who the new kicker yeah. is here midweek but he tore his calf muscle on the potential game-winning kick or game-tying kick last mm. week um and so so Joe Burrow takes an L in the first one but now we go for three dog Thursday purposes to Thursday night football and you're sniffing some Bengals some Cincinnati kitties yeah, so I actually went ahead and played this last week. I, one of my accounts had look-ahead lines, so I, I had a uh, plus 7.5 last week, but I'm uh, even at a worse number and crossing the key number. Well, I just didn't get enough of it. That I, I, I love Cincy plus 6. I think they're going to win outright plus 210. They had no business losing that game last week. They were in control of that game with the Chargers the whole way. Joe Mixon fumbled at around uh, Cincy's own 30-ish that set up a, 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 dry, a scoring drive for the Chargers. Joe Burrow, had, he, he made only one mistake. The whole, I mean, he didn't have a great day by any means, but he only made one mistake, but he made it down in the red zone. Yep. Um, he just tried – he rolling out his left, tried to just one-hand flick it to his running back. I guess he didn't see Melvin Ingram, former Spurger guy at South Carolina, make, make the interception. And then – you know, they had seven seconds left. They had plenty of time to take a shot, another shot at the end zone, and then they missed the chippy field goal. Now, I still did push with uh, the Bengals last week because uh, I had gotten it early in the week at plus three. But I, I love the Bengals here. Um, we've got a huge quarterback advantage. Uh, I don't, I'm not even going to get into the head coaching, but I know we got the quarterback advantage. You know, I, I'm normally looking to fade the road team on NFL Thursdays. But in week two, and it's a within state, your own state travel, short travel, I'm not, you know, not doing that this week. Brown's got chemistry issues. I mean, this is more of a, well, I guess it's a, it is a fade of Cleveland for sure. But other than a couple of little mistakes to clean up, the mix and fumble, Burroughs interception in the red zone, and then that unfortunate last drive where they missed a chip shot field goal, um, look, they didn't have Geno Atkins. I thought their defense played well. They, I don't know if they're going to get Geno Atkins back uh, Thursday night or not. But uh, they, they got out of the game pretty uh, injury-free, whereas Cleveland has got O-line injuries galore and secondary uh, injuries. And I'm just uh, – I, I like Cincy here. I, I think Burrow feels like he played a horrible game. He really just had one mistake. I think Burrow will play good. I think the Bengals will win outright. And it'll be chaos in Cleveland for a whole week. <laughs> Once again, as they continue the revolving door of coaches, and we'll see if uh, if Baker Mayfield can rally them at all. You'll love this stat. I'm propping up your pick. I am not taking the Bengals for three-dog Thursday purposes, but how about this? My Buccaneers a year ago, again, you love it when I quote Howard Cosell all the time. I remember because I was there. Of course, so many of our younger listeners have no idea who Cosell is. I was there a year ago in Charlotte 
week two, Thursday night, Buccaneers lost uh, to the San Francisco 49ers at home. Four days later, had to travel to division rival Charlotte, and the Buccaneers found a way to gut out a win. Jameis Winston was just good enough with a with a touchdown pass to Mike Evans in the game. The defense stuffing Christian McCaffrey on fourth and goal to preserve the win when the, uh, the Panthers needed a go-ahead touchdown in the final minute. And by the way... The uh, the week two Thursday night game now the road team has won outright four years in a row four years and counting Ooh. so that tends to lean towards Mister Edwards's Bengal pick here just keep that in mind the road you would think that the road team would have at least a hardship of 50-50 in this game of winning. But the road team's actually been good. And, and, and to your point, a lot of times they've made that first Thursday game an easy travel game, like within the division, not far to travel. Right off the bat, you've only played one game. This is the second game. You're not too beat up. Let's see. Let's see what the Bengals look like. So Brian's even even happier that I came up with that stat for you as the Bucks and, continue to trend as the road team. I left the stat out. Uh, the Bengals, as bad as they've been the last couple of years, uh, their last 19 games as road underdogs, they are 13-6 and six against the spread. That, that doesn't really play much into my handicap. It's Joe Burrow and, and just me thinking Cincinnati has vastly improved, even though they took the L last week. It, it was on them and their mistakes. But, um, yeah, so Bengals all day Thursday night. That's the voice of Brian Edwards. Again, BrianEdwardsSports.com, at VegasBEdwards on Twitter. Our senior handicapper hanging out with me on Three Dog Thursday every week. Again, you may already know that outcome if you're listening to us later in the weekend as we promote Three Dog Thursday and our guys at the Sports Gambling Podcast and their their network of shows at SportsGamblingPodcast.com continue to promote us. You may already know how genius Brian is to be on those Bengals for Thursday. Was it a good game? Was it a close game? We don't know that in the prediction mode. Let's go to Sunday, and there are a couple of games that I am looking at strongly. I will start first uh, with an early game in Indianapolis in the somebody's going to be 0-2 game. The Vikings off of the beatdown loss where their defense got torched by Aaron Rodgers uh, at home as the Packers put 40-plus points on them. Now they're on the road at the Colts, who also lost, where the Gardner Minshew, Minshew Magic, uh, 19 of 20 Minshew was in the game last week with three touchdowns to beat the Colts last week in Phillip Rivers' debut. Rivers, what else? A couple of critical interceptions. Now the Colts come back home as three-point favorites. I don't think Minnesota goes 0-2 here. I like Kirk Cousins and the Vikings to figure some things out, and I think they are going to win in the hostile, usually hostile Lucas Oil Stadium that doesn't have any fans uh, in it. Uh, I think that's advantage. Vikings, I'll take the Vikings here in this matchup and the three points at Indianapolis uh, here. Somebody, again, 0-2 when that game is all said and done. So I like that one for Three Dog Thursday purposes. And last week, Brian Edwards, you were on the Miami Dolphins. It did not work out against Cam Newton and the uh, and the Patriots as Newton broke out uh, run after run after run out of the read option. It looked like he was back at Auburn with the way that he was running that ball uh, last week. But Miami still played solidly in that game. Now they come home and this is more not me not believing in the Buffalo Bills, who beat the New York Jets last week at home. The Jets were bad. Buffalo, five-and-a-half-point road favorites. Give me Miami in an early game also. My in-laws are huge. My wife's parents are huge Dolphin fans. They will be happy with me that I am taking uh, the Finns here in this matchup against the Bills. 
Are you buying into Buffalo? How about Buffalo getting that kind of respect on the road? I know they win the playoffs two of the last three years, but they got some serious respect to be a five and a half point week two favorite at Miami. Yeah, um, you know there was no Fitz magic last week. Uh, three costly picks, uh, but yeah, you know I lean I lean with you on both of your plays there. I, I, I'm I'm leaning Minnesota and I lean Miami. I'm not going to commit to either one of them. Uh, but I, I certainly don't disagree with, with any of your logic and, and definitely agree that, uh, wow, that's a lot of respect for Buffalo going on the road, especially when you think about the heat uh, in Miami yes. in September, which is, you know, is that's like, you know, going to Lambeau in January, in my opinion. Um, you know, th- you just – it doesn't get hotter than what it is down there during the yes. summer. Yes, hot, hot in a lot of places so, in the yeah. south, but a lot of them aren't outdoors, and Miami will be again. No fans. The Bills, by the way, have been good in the last 14 meetings with the Dolphins for Three Dog Thursday purposes here. I'm kind of bucking the trend. Buffalo is 9-4-1 and one in the last 14 meetings overall over the last seven years. But let's let's see what happens in this one. That is a lot of points, and I think uh, Miami is better on defense uh, I think they will get to Josh Allen some in this game. I'll take the Dolphins. I'll gladly take the five and a half or the six, whatever it is, uh, here for Three Dog Thursday purposes. Uh, all right, uh, before we get out of here, uh, I have not touched on the U.S. Open, which I will in a second. We've got golf championship this weekend, and we also have NBA playoffs. Brian Edwards narrowing down now to the conference finals, including we're coming off the Tuesday night Denver comeback uh, from down three games to one to beat the Clippers in Game 7 in the Orlando bubble. So now it is Denver and the Lakers in the West. And one game in the books, the Heat already beating the Boston Celtics in Game 1 in the East. And you're already looking over the NBA lines for this weekend and underdog purposes. What do you like out of the NBA playoffs? Uh, I like the Heat in uh, Thursday night's uh, game two. Uh, I bet on them for the series. I had them last night. What a game in overtime. I thought that was a nonsense call where Tatum got the, you know, East Finals uh, one possession game, you know, less than 20 seconds left. But brilliant uh, of Marcus Smart to draw that foul, even though you can't call that at that point in the game. But uh, <laughs> Bam Adebayo was uh, – an amazing block with Tyler Hero. Wow, was he good. And Jimmy Butler and Gordon Dragic have been nothing short of sensational. Miami's now 9-1, and one, but straight up and against the spread in 10 playoff games. And the only loss was when they were up 3-0 to Milwaukee, and they were plus two, and they lost outright in overtime and lost by three, so only lost by one to the line. That's how good the Miami Heat uh, have been in these playoffs, and I think it will continue. Uh, props to Jamal Murray and props to uh, Jokic and the Nuggets. What a what a rally! Uh, six elimination games, W's in a row, and come back from double digit deficits in all three of the last ones against the Clippers. Amazing stuff. Um, I, uh, I but I'm not looking at them in Game One. I, I could see them, uh, you know, having a letdown, being a little gassed, kind of like they were in Game One against the Clippers. Well, the Lakers have been sitting back here, too, so there's some merit for rest, but there's also merit for the way that uh, the Nuggets have played that they just continue the hot streak here when they tee it up uh, in the in the game on uh, Friday night for game one of the Western Conference Finals. You don't, you don't think the Nuggets are going to get maybe a game, more than a game, off the Lakers, and it's the Lakers into the NBA Finals now that it's not the Clippers? 
Oh, oh, I can see the Nuggets winning multiple games. I just don't think it'll be game one. I, I just think after all the energy expended, uh, rallying from double-digit deficits in three games in a row, um, and, and, you know, they had, they won three in a row against Utah and then game one against the Clippers. It was kind of like a giveaway game. You know, they're just exhausted. And so I, I could see that happening again against the Lakers in game one. But, no, I, I think Denver will um, make the series interesting. I, I don't think they'll win the series, but I don't think that they'll – they're not going to, uh, you know, get blown out four times. I, don't, I certainly don't see that. Definitely not broom treatment. We are talking it all with Brian Edwards' remaining moment or two here. We've been covering the NFL. He just talked a little NBA, and I'll talk a little U.S. Open. It's a first-time-ever September United States Golf Open. Brian, we've had so much sports in this month. It's just incredible with the Kentucky Derby because of COVID-19 delays being run in September with no fans, NBA and NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. By the way, let's go Lightning. You may already know if the Lightning have finished off the New York Islanders if you're listening to us on Three Dog Thursday. The Lightning trying to battle the Dallas Stars who are already in the Stanley Cup uh, finals, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, we've got the NFL going, college football going, and U.S. Open golf, the prestigious Open Championship, the United States' top uh, Open tournament. Uh, Dustin Johnson is the favorite at plus 850 at famed Wingfoot Golf Club in New York. John Rahm plus 1,000. I like him as the plus 1,000 play. And if you're looking for somebody as a dark, dark horse, uh, give me Jason Day plus 4,000. I think he might do well in this tournament on odds to win before it begins on Thursday. Uh, for th- for Three Dog Thursday purposes, what's going to happen with Tiger there, with Rory McIlroy there, Justin Thomas, uh, et cetera, Dustin Johnson won the FedEx Cup playoffs. Let's see what happens with the U.S. Open. My friend, there is no shortage, whether it's college football, the NFL, the NBA playoffs, the Stanley Cup hockey, the U.S. Open golf, NASCAR about to enter its playoffs. We waited for so long to have sports, and we have got really the buffet. The buffets aren't allowed anymore for, for social distancing and health guidelines, but we got the sports buffet right now, brother. Anything you want right now. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Thank goodness. In fact, tonight, uh, well, it will have been yesterday when your listeners are uh, yep. listening to the show, but tonight's the first time we haven't had games in months. <laughs> uh, so, right. Um, there is That's not really a Stanley Cup playoff game right at the time that we're taping. There is not an NBA playoff game on the Wednesday night as we're taping before Three Dog Thursday. So that's that's the first time we have not had a hockey or basketball playoff game in over 30 days. So that's amazing yeah. that we've had that run, and the NFL doesn't play until Thursday night. So we get a little low. Major League Baseball is still ongoing, but, man, the barrage is back for this weekend. You need extra TVs. You need extra eyeballs. It is almost like March Madness with all of this. Brian, tell them one more time where they find all of your stuff with your picks, your analysis, and uh, and all the great insight they're hearing here on 3 Dog Thursday. Yeah, you follow me on Twitter at VegasBEdwards. Uh, you can check out uh, my website, BrianEdwardsSports.com. I uh, also have uh, content and picks available at VegasInsider.com. TJ, enjoyed it, man. Have a great weekend. Good luck with uh, your picks and your audience. Good luck. Uh, hopefully it's winners for everybody. 
Yeah, let's hope that that is the case. Again, Brian loves those Cincinnati Bengals as uh, a Thursday night underdog. Again, I'm going Georgia Tech in college from back earlier in the show for Three Dog Thursday purposes. And in the NFL, give me the Col- or give me the Vikings at the Colts as a road doggy. And the Dolphins, how in the world are they a home dog the Bills? I'll take them to win the game outright for Three Dog Thursday purposes. Thanks also to Jason Cole, national football writer, pro football Hall of Fame voter, John Elway book. Uh, that is out right now. Again, check him out at Jason Cole 62 for more of uh, of the John Elway uh, biography that he did uh, that is out right now. A relentless life for Elway as the player and also as the president of the Broncos. Matt Ennis also from Louisville, the afternoon radio host in Louisville. They were both part of our Three Dog Thursday video roundtable. Find the video roundtable on YouTube. Mark Ennis has got that Louisville-Miami game coming to his town. I'll be there with Tiki Barber on the national call of that game. We'll talk more about it next week. For now, for Brian Edwards, I'm TJ Reeves. Subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Find us and subscribe to us. No matter if you came to us off the Sports Gambling Podcast network of shows, sportsgamblingpodcast.com, subscribe. Find us there, and we come your way on Thursdays with Three Dog Thursday. Bye.